So yesterday we covered the theoretical underpinnings of product market fit, which is that you should have some insight on technology and then find the audience to develop your product for. Today we're going deeper into the product development process because it's too easy to stay super high level and theoretical. We actually want to go into the nitty gritty details about creating a product that people want. And I think in terms of creating anything, the minimum viable example is creating a book. It's something that I've done and I can highly recommend it. It is challenging enough that you start to push yourself with customer development and sales and stuff like that, but not challenging, so challenging that you're developing software and maintaining it for a very long time. So I really like this idea from Rob Fitzpatrick about the mom test and his process for writing books, because you can extend that to general product development of anything. What is the mom test at a high level? So the idea, what, what tripped me up in my first business was not that people were too mean to me, it's that they were too nice to me. Because as an entrepreneur, when you ask for feedback and on, a, on, on an idea, you're putting your heart on, on the table. You're saying, look, I quit my job for this. I put, I put all my hopes and dreams into this. What do you think? Be honest. And there's so many biases and you have to navigate that because you're trying to decide, is this business worth the next five years of my life? And there's this old saying, don't ask your mom if your business is a good idea because she loves you and supports you mm. and believes in you and will lie to you, you know, because she, she loves you unconditionally. And what I realized is that actually everyone lies to you in the same way, at least a little bit, if you're an entrepreneur. And so it, it's not other people's jobs to tell you the truth. It's your job to structure the questions and the conversation in a way where it's easy and natural for them to tell you the truth, you know, take the responsibility on yourself to ask good questions instead of expecting them to give good answers. So I call it, you know, if it's such a good question that even your mom can't lie to you, then it passes the mom test. Oh, I love that. So it's really about seeking authentic feedback that uh, helps you uh, increase the chances of success for your business. Exactly. And I do the exact same thing with my books. I'm looking for the times where people get bored. I, I'm trying to invite the negative criticism. And that requires more than just saying, please be honest. Right. It requires structuring the whole interaction in a way which makes it easy for them to show you, hey, actually, I don't care about this book at all. And I would never pick this up. And even if I did, I would never spend the time to read it. That's the data you need. Yeah. And it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of an art to find that data because people don't want to give it to you. Of course. And that applies to, to writing books as well, right? I mean, ultimately, you want to know that you're you're getting feedback on the topic that you want to write about and not spend the next six to, you know, 12 months <laughs> uh, writing it and, and only, you know, two people are interested in it. So that's great. And we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes there. And here's Rob on the book writing process and note how grueling it is, but also how doable it is once you have a really strong and humble approach to developing your product. The way I think about books is kind of a pyramid. So if you think you're building up from the bottom, the first requirement is that the promise it's making on the cover is desirable. Do people want it? Are they motivated to invest, not just buying the book, but then investing the hours in reading it, understanding it and applying it to their life? So that's desirability. The way I find that is when I talk to people, I try to do a lot of in-person reader conversations or nowadays through Zoom. And I'm looking for an emotional response. I'm looking for them to be excited to spend the time to learn more about this topic. I'm looking for their eyes to light up or for them to get angry about how much of a problem this is. I'm like, aha, okay, I'm writing something desirable. And part of that is figuring out your reader profile because one book's promise might be boring for one type of reader, but super powerful for another. So you're combining that. Then after that is the effectiveness. And this, the way I test it, my process for writing a books, it doesn't start with writing. It starts with teaching. 
And so I'm looking to sit down with people one-on-one if possible or small groups if not, and basically say, hey, my book was gonna help you accomplish this goal. Let me just help you accomplish this goal. And if they don't want to spend that time, then again, that confirms it's not desirable. And if we sit down together and then they don't achieve the goal, I know that my knowledge doesn't work. I know how to do it, but I don't know how to explain it so that someone else can do it. So I'm going to keep iterating through teaching until the people I'm talking to are getting the results that, that, that my book is promising. Like, for example, for the workshop book, before I wrote it, I took a handful of people who were trying to get started in teaching workshops, and I brought each of them to the point where they could easily charge 2,000 euros per day for their, their teaching work. Mm-hmm. And they were like, wow, I'm overbooked now. Like, and I'm like, aha, okay, the process works. Now let me document it. And I'd already done it myself. I'd been through that. I'd built a business around it, but I didn't know how to explain it to someone else, right? That, that's, okay, so you do that. Then it's like, okay, the knowledge works. The knowledge is desirable. Now, does the knowledge work as written? Does it work as a manuscript? Mm. Because sometimes it gets lost and you can explain it verbally, but you can't write it. So that's where beta reading comes in. So I typically do three drafts myself, and then I start beta reading. And it's still ugly. It's still a mess. When we were doing the workshop survival guide, uh, when we did our first round of beta reading, I had a co-author for that book, uh, Devin Hunt, who's amazing. And our first round of beta reading not a single person made it through the second chapter. Wow. And what we realized is we'd created a bunch of value enablers at the beginning, which is basically like theoretical knowledge about teaching theory, education theory, all this stuff. And by the time they got to the start of chapter three, they were already exhausted. Mm. We'd been basically asking them to put in work and we hadn't been giving them what they thought they were going to get. And so we're like, okay, great. Wow. All of those beta readers hate us, but Thank goodness we we had them at this point because we know we need to restructure everything. So we we pulled out, we went in there with a chainsaw. And then the next round of beta reading, people were getting up to chapter four and we're like, okay, there's our next problem. Let's go in with a chainsaw again. And eventually almost everyone, and you run this in iterations, typically it takes between two and six weeks for my books where the, the first kind of one to two weeks is bringing in a batch of beta readers. And I look to get three to five who are deeply engaged and kind of read through as far as they can until they hit a blocking issue. Mm. But to get three to five, you need to invite four times as many who say they want to. Right. Because right. half of them won't even open the document and another half will leave like one comment and then abandon. <laughs> yes, but the- those three to five, they show you where the next problem is. Then you can go in and fix it. And then you bring in the next batch. Right. And over time, the iterations get slower because people are getting through more of the book before they find that crucial problem. And, and so that means that as they get through more of the book, there's more you need to change and tweak and et cetera. And you kind of just want to delay the copy edits and the proofreading as late as possible because that just slows you down in making right. these big changes. Where do you find those uh, beta readers? I start with friendly first contacts. So it would be people from my life who I know, who, like with the current book, Write Useful Books, I was like, okay, who do I know who's ever talked about writing a nonfiction book? And just I, I sent them an email and I said, hey, I remember a year ago you were talking about wanting to do this. Is that still a thing? Do you want to talk about it? And that eases into either reader conversations or to beta reading, depending on, on the stage of where I'm up to. After that, when I'm still in the early stages, I like to use basically just raw serendipity. So one of my rules for writing a book is that uh, <laughs> I need to like hanging out with the people I'm writing for. 
Mm. And part of the motivation of that rule is that that's the way I find beta readers. You meet someone at a dinner party or these days at an online event or, or, or on a, a online community like Reddit or Indie Hackers or wherever. And they, oh, what are you what are you working on? What are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm working on this book. I just make it my thing that I introduce myself with. Now, you're not going to find a lot of people like that, but can you find one or two per week? Yeah. yeah. And is that enough to find three to five beta readers per iteration? Yeah. You don't need a scalable process here. You just need to align kind of the serendipity. And then probably around halfway through beta reading, I'm going to start doing my marketing to find my seed audience. Again, I don't want to do marketing forever. I don't have a big author platform. That's not like my life. But you need to find that first thousand people. And while finding that first group, I'm also saying, hey, it's not ready yet. But if you want it to be ready, you can come in early, right? You can come in, maybe you can buy early access if it's refined. But before that, you might choose to be a beta reader. Even before that, you might choose to be an alpha reader. And, and, and I'll kind of like drip people in. So it overlaps with the marketing. And that's the most scalable. Right. And by the way, just curious, before I, I ask you the question I wanted to ask you, and that is, um, I noticed that you've got quite a number of uh, positive reviews. And, and the volume of reviews is pretty impressive. I think you're over 500 on the mom mm -hmm. test. Um, do you leverage those beta and alpha readers to, to leave a review? No, uh, I've never asked for a review. I have asked for cover testimonials because there's like specific influential, well-known people that are nice to have on the cover. And so those I've asked for, but the, the Amazon reviews, no, I, I never have. And it was interesting. I was already probably making more than a hundred thousand a year in royalties when I had a tiny number of reviews and I don't know what it was. I, I talked to some other people in the book industry and they were shocked at my royalties relative to review numbers. But then yeah. in the last probably two years, the reviews have really started pouring in. But I think there was a time where I, I was like probably making a hundred thousand in royalties and I only had a hundred reviews, which was very strange. Wow. Uh, and I think that's just the virtue of self-publishing. You know, you, you get a lot more per copy. But yeah, now it's yeah 500 or something like that. And the, the overall rating is still pretty good. I think it's like 4.7 average, something like that. And that's true across all my books. That's it. Tomorrow I'm going to be high level again, and we're going to cover products from another point of view from Lenny Wojcicki.